Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 220. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT Podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. And welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by Blueprint MCAT and an amazing member of their live online instructor core. This week, we're continuing our breakdown of full-length one from Blueprint, which you get for free at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. We are covering BioBioChem Passage 8. Alex, back for some more MCAT podcasts. Last week, we got to hear all about your story and just how smart you are and uh, listen to your lovely accent. This week, we get to continue our breakdown of full-length one from Blueprint MCAT, which everyone gets for free by signing up for an account over at blueprintprep.com. What uh, what do we have in store today? Oh, before we do that, one of the things, I, again, I love having new live online instructors on because I can pick your brain about kind of the, the we talked last week about strategy and and how, can, how students can approach the MCAT. But sitting in the MCAT test center or, or taking a full length between passages, do you have a little strategy? I, I think Madeline last week or was Joy a couple weeks ago was talking about like, I take three deep breaths and then I go into the next passage. What do you do in between passages? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm quite a big proponent of, um, I think there's a very particular kind of like MCAT information processing fatigue that happens when you're just feeding all of these, um, all of these passages into your mind, like right one after, you know, one after the other. And you can end up with a situation where it's like, Oh God, like did this nugget of information come from this passage? Was it from the previous passage? Was it from the previous section? Um, so I was a big proponent of, uh, between every passage kind of sitting back in the chair, uh, and, letting your eyes just unfocus to like a distant corner of the room and just taking five seconds to just mentally disengage from whatever you've just read, you know, clear the memory, but you know, clear the Ram, clear the memory buffer, uh, and then engage again with the next passage. I found that kind of immensely helpful to just kind of 
like, you know, we need to clear the decks. We need to get all yeah. of the, you know, all everything off scratch memory. And, you know, this is the new passage and none of the other passages exist. Yeah. And stop, stop feeling bad about yourself because you knew you messed up that last question because that's just going to yeah. ruin you for the next one. Yeah. So, you know what? Previous section, previous path, you know, the previous, particularly the previous section, yeah. it's submitted, nothing you can do about it. Like, you know, from my subjective perspective, it has like dropped off the edge of my universe. <laughs> yes. You, you uh, no longer have object permanence. <laughs> the, the skill that you learned <laughs> as a toddler has gone away. Yeah. 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 Like we, yeah, you put, you put the rubber ducky in a box and it vanished no into the there. void. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. All right. Let's go ahead and, and jump in. We are continuing our breakdown of full length one from Blueprint MCAT with passage eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start reading. Um, beta oxidation is a process that converts fatty, fatty acids into acetyl CoA groups that can enter the Krebs cycle. This process occurs in the mitochondria. In humans, the normal fatty acids we eat are too big to passively pass through the inner mitochondrial membrane. An acyl-CoA molecule must first be transformed into an acyl-carnitine molecule in order to enter the mitochondrial matrix, matrix via a translocase protein. That conversion is catalyzed by a carnitine palmitoyl transferase 1, whose mechanism is thought to involve a histidine residue that activates the hydroxyl group on carnitine. Once inside the mitochondrion, the acyl-carnitine is converted back into an acyl-CoA molecule. My goodness, what do we think about that? <sighs> Those are lots of big words, and you pronounce them very wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to mentally concentrate because um, uh, some of those words are pronounced differently in the UK. In, in the UK, we would say um, acetyl-CoA, not acetyl. Mm. Yeah, but process, but, you're uh, still sticking with process, huh? Yeah, um, I, I was, uh, I'll have none of that. I, I, I alter the minimum number of pronunciations that are required to make myself understandable. Nice. All right. I love process. Um, yeah. So if we take a step back, I always, I always like to ask myself, hey, what, what is this passage? What is this paragraph actually saying? You know, like, what is it? What is it describing? You know, mm. what, like, what is the purpose of it here? And for me, like, you know, in terms of the things that I'd be tempted to highlight, it's like, oh, you know, right there in the first sentence, we've got beta oxidation. It converts fatty acids into acetyl-CoA. They can enter the Krebs cycle. This occurs in the mitochondria. And then that this conversion is catalyzed by carnitine palmitoyl transferase 1, which involves a histidine residue. As far as I'm concerned, these are the key nuggets. This is like really classic on the science section. They give you loads of background. Like, this is how this process works. This is where it happens. And very often there are actually relatively few nuggets of information that you need to pull out here for later. Yeah. I, I think uh, it's such an important skill of, of what is important, what is not important. And yeah. kind of going back to what we were saying last week with students, when they have this kind of discussion around like, I'm not good at that or or how did you pick out those important things or right? looking at what you do right <laughs> looking at what you do going oh, I didn't know those were the important words like you're not expected to yet right yeah this is a skill that you're working on every passage every paragraph getting better and better and better at reading comprehension and picking out the important things 
Yeah, absolutely. And when people are reviewing any sorts of these passages, I can I often recommend that they read a paragraph themselves, try and interpret what it means, and then compare their notes to the key terms and like and the outline that Blueprint gives you mm-hmm. to just say like, oh, you know, how does this, you know, how does their interpretation line up with my interpretation? And that kind of over time, you can get better at kind of correlating one with the other. Yeah. Um, so important. So in terms of key takeaways from this passage, you know, it's like. It's, it's really not very much at all. It's like, oh, there's this process called beta oxidation. It converts fatty acids into acetyl-CoA because fatty acids themselves are too big to go into the mitochondria. You know, they can't squeeze through that membrane. Um, and in order to do that, uh, acyl-CoA must first be transformed into this new molecule, acyl-carnitine. And then right below, we have figure one, which is the structure of carnitine. This is presumably what gets modified this is the vehicle by which those acyl groups are shuttled into the mitochondria into the mitochondria. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Have a brief look at the structure of it. It's like, yeah, it's a molecule. It's, you know, it's got some atoms in it. Not going to, you know, we don't need to analyze it really any more than that unless we get a specific question about it. Okay. And then below in figure two, we have a structure of palmitic acid, which is kind of a generic fatty acid. You know, we're familiar with what they look like. Uh, you've got that carboxylic acid group and then just a big long chain of carbons. Yeah. Got it. Moving on. Moving on, we get acylcarnitine translocase deficiency is an autosomal recessive disorder characterized by malfunction of the translocase, whose normal function is to exchange acylcarnitine from outside the mitochondrion for carnitine inside the mitochondrion. In the metabolism of a molecule of palmitic acid, once converted to palmitic acyl-CoA and having entered the mitochondrial matrix, four steps will occur and be repeated until the entire molecule is converted into eight acetyl-CoA molecules. The first three steps are outlined in figure three. Ooh, more big words. It keeps on going. <laughs> yes, and lots of diagrams here. Yeah. What I really like about these kind of pair of paragraphs is they start, you always, I don't know, I think you know, once you've done enough of them, these kind of sciences, they really start to develop their own kind of, uh, their, their, own, their own rhythm where it's like, ah, oh, here's a bunch of background. And now here's where we start diving into the meat of the thing that we want you to analyze, which in this case is this acylcarnitine translocase deficiency, um, which is like, okay, we've go, like, we've told you how the process works normally. But now we're going to tell you like, okay, this is, you know, in some people in this recessive disorder, this process breaks. And that's really common on the MCAT because then they're going to, you know, they very often kind of parlay that into saying like, ah, and what would you expect to happen in these patients who have this particular deficiency based off what we've told you for in, about it and based on your outside knowledge of how energy metabolism works, what predictions can we start making about, uh, you know, about how this might affect someone's broader physiology. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in this case, you know, the translocase breaks. That means it can't exchange those acyl carnitines from outside for the carnitines inside. Uh, and then we have some information about the metabolism of a molecule of palmitic acid. And then we get a figure, figure three, which kind of details those steps in kind of in chemical detail. These yeah. are the steps that are happening. So for me, as I see these two paragraphs, this is a lot of information. And I don't know if any of it is really important, right? It's just, it seems obvious that there's this deficiency and a malfunction. 
do I need yeah. to know like this is the exact malfunction is this exchange from inside to outside and it, it converts this into eight acetyl CoA molecules, or is that just something that I can refer back to? I would highlight the important terms. Yeah, because it might be important, but this is the MCAT. It might not be important. You know, this might be given and then never referenced in a question, in which case it's not important. So, you know, I, as ever with these things, I, I, I try and say to students, like, pluck out the bones of the process, which in this case is the, the translocase malfunctions, and it can't exchange these carnitine molecules. And then this is how, you know, this, pa this paragraph here is, oh, this is how palmitic acid is metabolized. You know, it's all, the whole thing's converted to eight acetyl-CoA molecules. I wouldn't dig in any more than that until we know that we get perhaps a more, um, until like maybe a question asks us to interrogate this process in more detail. Remember, every second you spend on the MCAT analyzing a process that's not directly queried is a second wasted. Hmm. All right. You know, this isn't a scientific paper that we can pour over at our leisure. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> Stupid time limits. <laughs> Yeah. And then figure three, first three steps of the beta oxidation of palmitic acid. This should be a process that students are hopefully familiar with, you know, because the process of beta oxidation is included in the MCAT content categories. So hopefully this should be reasonably familiar. But, you know, if it isn't, note that that's what the figure says and move on. Okay. Uh, step one produces an FADH2 and step three produces an NADH and H+. Table three shows how many ATP are produced per NADH, FADH2, and per acetyl-CoA. I really like this paragraph because it's, it's providing a link now between this figure above and the table below. Yeah. We have a list of steps on how, uh, on how um, fatty acids are metabolized. And then below, we have a table that gives us more data. How much ATP do we get per process? Mm. And presumably the questions will ask us to, you know, link these in some interesting and synthetic way. All righty. And then we jump in. I'll, I'll go ahead and start with this first question because I'll probably get it wrong. Um, <laughs> question 40. If we start with the molecule below instead of palmitic acid, which step will be interrupted and which enzyme will be used to correct the issue. And so figure two, we have palmitic acid, and I have them kind of lined up side by side here. So mm -hmm. you, can, you can see if you're watching on video, if you're listening to this in a podcast form, go watch the video and you can see. Uh, but it's almost all the same, except there's one double bond kind of in the middle. Um, what do you think? Yeah, and so if we start, which step will be interrupted? I have no idea. So as ever with these questions, I really like because they, they you can this is like a classic two by two question where we have like two nuggets of information in each answer choice. We have yeah. we can see here A says step one phosphatase. B says step one isomerase, C says step two reductase, and D says step, says step two kinase. Immediately, this means the only options for which step it could even be is one or two. Yep. So you know what? 
Step three, for now, we can ignore it. Because it can't possibly be right. Yeah. Um, so I always like to start with like, all right, let's evaluate. Like the first chunk of the question, is it step one or is it step two? And if we look at these steps, like, I don't know, which, which molecule does the, does question, the one given to us in question 40, like which molecule does it resemble the most? I always think that's a really great place to start. Which one does it look the most like? Well, step two in our figures has a double bond in there, similar to this yeah. one, just in a different spot. Yeah, I agree. It does. It's like, oh, it's almost the same molecule. It's just in a different spot. Uh, so I would be inclined, as, you know, as we know from enzymatic processes, that uh, enzymes are very specific to the molecule that they bind to. And if it's not shaped in the right way, then it'll probably interrupt the process. If I had to guess, that's probably the concept that this question's trying to interrogate. Um, so if, our mole- if, you know, if step one you know, takes this clean, beautiful, you know, double bond-free carbon chain and converts it into one with a double bond in it, I would, ra- I would wager that if we had a fatty acid molecule that already had a double bond, it would interfere with step one. because that enzyme that does that that does that conversion uh presumably is looking for like a you know a clean single bond only carbon chain mm. and it's we're not giving it to it we're giving it a carbon chain that already has a big fat double bond right in the middle yeah. so i'd be tempted to say step 1 is the right answer there the process that it interrupts um in which case we can probably tentatively eliminate c and d yeah and now we have 50% chance of getting the right answer versus 20. Yeah. And if, and if you're not sure, and if you're not sure from now, then you could, you know, if you'll say you have five seconds left, even if you guessed now, you've doubled your odds of getting the question right. Yeah. Okay. So now, you know, what enzyme would now, what, which enzyme will be used to correct the issue? So now we're effectively just asking what enzyme are we looking for to convert this molecule with a double bond in the middle to that second molecule on the left that has a double bond kind of much closer to the right. And what classes of enzymes do we, or do we normally look for that just rearrange bonds? Uh, I want to say isomerases. Yeah, yeah, which means B is the right answer. Okay. Uh, phosphatases uh, classically um, remove phosphates from molecules. Kinases add phosphate groups and phosphatases remove them. In, in this case, A is not the right answer because there's no phosphate that's being added or removed. Yeah. You know, we're just looking for an isomerase. We're looking for uh, an enzyme that'll come along and pluck that double bond off the middle and stick it closer to the end. All right. Piece of cake, right? This is, this yeah. is easy stuff. All right. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I like this one because it, it, that, that's a question that seems really intimidating. But then once you like dive into like what's it actually asking and like go back to, and go to its like most elemental steps, it's not nearly as scary. Yeah. All right. 41, go ahead. Yeah. Injection of insulin into the bloodstream is least likely to result in which of the following? So we have A, increased glycogen synthesis. B, decreased lipid synthesis, C, increased esterification of fatty acids, and D, decreased gluconeogenesis. What do we need? What are we thinking here? 
Oh, so first of all, I read this, and as a student, I'm so focused on the passage, and I go, wait, insulin, blood, like, we didn't talk about this at all. <laughs> why, why is this a question in this passage? And obviously, it's, it's a pseudo-discreet here, um, and, and I wonder how it is potentially related, other than I have no idea. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> then it, it's yeah. a metabolism question, and... There's a little metabolism, I guess, in the uh, yeah. in the passage. Yeah. So and the MCAT loves doing this. The MCAT loves doing this, which is like throwing you a pseudo discrete after they've just had you digging around in the passage and being like, "Wait, wait, what?" Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, MCAT. All right. <laughs> so I, I think hopefully most students understand insulin's job, right? Is to get kind of glucose into cells so we can use it. Um, yeah. And all of that fun stuff. So what happens here? We, yeah. um, glycogen synthesis, right? Glycogen is a storage molecule. So we're storing glucose. That happens when we get glucose into the cell. We go, hey, we got some extra here. Let's store it. Um, yep. So that's going to happen. So that's not the right answer because it's a least likely. <laughs> we always, we always got to make sure, oops, we got to make sure that uh, we understand the question. I always highlight least if it shows up in the question stem yes, because otherwise I've been burned so many times. Yes, least likely. So let me just read the answers here. So uh, increased glycogen synthesis. B is decreased lipid, lipid synthesis. C is increased esterification of fatty acids. D, decreased gluconeogenesis. Um, so decreased lipid synthesis. Okay, so we go, oh wait, fat storage, lipid synthesis. That's making fat. We're going to decrease that. Well, if we have excess energy, right? Excess sugar, excess glucose, we're probably going to store that as fat too. Um, so that would be increase. So this is saying decrease lipid, synth lipid synthesis. So that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. So I'm going to hold off on that for now. I'm not super excited about that answer for some reason. All right. C is increased esterification of fatty acids. Now I see that and I go, I have no remembrance of what esterification of fatty acids means. So that one scares me because I don't know what it means. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it could be, am I breaking down fatty acids or am I making fatty acids? That's That potentially is the maybe the definition uh, of that. So C is crazy. Uh, I don't like that. D, decreased gluconeogenesis. So gluconeogenesis, right, is making new glucose. Do yep. we need to make new glucose if we are injecting insulin? My assumption is no, we don't need to make new glucose. We're taking insulin so we can get it out of the bloodstream. We're not like um, in some sort of fasting state or I don't know. <clears throat> so least likely. So decreased gluconeogenesis makes sense if we're injecting glucose. We have plenty of glucose around. That's what I think. So I'm down to 50-50, decreased lipid synthesis. Let's go back to that one. <sighs> lipid synthesis. Do I need to make fat? Mm. I'm just, I'm going to go with B because I have no idea what C means. <laughs> I think that is 
flawless content strategy, <laughs> which is narrowed it down to two and then picked what picked the one that looked encouraging and ignored the one that you're like, oh God, like, you know, esterification, is that more? Is that less? I don't remember. Yeah, that is exactly how I would advise a student to solve the problem, which is like, yep, you know, use your content knowledge, eliminate A and D, and then look at, you know, look between B and C and then pick the one which looks good as opposed to the one which is neutral because maybe, you know, a, you know, a particular definition has slipped your mind. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, uh, we can eliminate C because esterification of fatty acids is actually, um, imagine it as the fatty acid analog to making glycogen from glucose. Mm. You know, esterification is formation of ester bonds. You know, you're linking a bunch of fatty acids together so that they can better be stored. You know, esterification of fatty acids is exactly what you'd expect when you inject insulin because it's, uh, it's right up there with lipid synthesis. You're taking a bunch of sugar in or, you know, you're taking in, you know, you, you're, you're not burning fatty acids anymore. You're actually linking them up for storage. So that's exactly the process that we would expect from injection of insulin. All right. Awesome. Yeah, so great question. Decreased insulin and glucagon, lipid. super high yield. Yes. Got to know. Some of that physiology, which is like, wait a minute, physiology is not on the MCAT. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it <laughs> Where is. you'd least expect it, too. Yeah, unfortunately. All right. Question 42, and I see right off the bat, it's a Roman numeral one. So my anxiety goes through the roof immediately. Uh, so we got <laughs> to keep that down. In which steps in figure three, so let me scroll here to figure three, is the fatty acid oxidized? Roman numeral one, step one. Roman numeral two, step two. Roman numeral three, step three. We have one only, three only, one and three only, one, two, and three only. And so yeah. this this trick that we usually get to of let's look at the answer choices and find which Roman numeral occurs the most doesn't really work here because three is in three and one is in three answer choices. And so it's like, oh, thanks a lot. So the the question really comes down to well do we think it's step two i don't know if we should look at step two first because that's that's only in one answer choice yeah i i like i like that strategy and i'm in, i'm absolutely inclined to agree with you uh i always think a, this is a great question where people can get really tangled in the details for a long time, examining those steps, examining those flowcharts. And in fact, what oft, what separates kind of amazing strategy people, uh, you know, and you can get the question right in both ways by either looking at the figure in depth. But if we just scroll down a little bit, passage tells us everything we need to know. Mm. Step one produces an FADH2 and step one produces an NADH plus H plus. Step three, yeah. Yeah. In the body, uh, FAD plus and NAD plus uh, exist as free molecules. They float around. So if you're ever producing an FADH2 or an NADH plus, that means they are getting reduced. You are adding hydrogens to them which makes sense because they are later, of course, fed into the electron transport chain. If they are getting reduced, 
something else is getting oxidized. And in this case, it's the fatty acid. Hmm. Interesting. So it tells us right there. And it doesn't say tells anything us right about there. step two. And so the pre-med in me, right, the neurotic pre-med in me will go, wait a minute. But it doesn't say it doesn't happen in step two. So how do I know just by looking at the chart? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if we look, if we look at the graph, if we look at step two here, you know, I think it's really tempting to look at this, to look at this figure and say, oh, it is being oxidized. Look, you know, we take a double bond and we convert it to a hydroxide. You know, that's, you know, I'm increasing bonds to oxygen. Like that's oxidation, right? That, oh, it must be one, two, and three. And this is a, uh, kind of an interesting and finer point of chemistry, which is when you add water, what we're doing here really is you're just adding water, you know, across a double bond and mm -hmm. converting it into this OH. That means we're actually just adding an oxygen and two protons, which actually means there's no net redox at all. Mm. Yeah, this is a tricky one. So certainly, uh, Moving quickly, I would be tempted to pick C because, you know, in the body, if something like a fatty acid is being oxidized at step two, you would expect an evolutionary process to have uh, optimized it such that it extracts energy out of it somehow by coupling it to one of these processes. We can eliminate step two by examining that mechanism and being like, ah, you're adding, you know, you're adding a water, you're adding H2O. Uh, that means you have that oxygen and you have those, those two protons. Those two protons cancel out the two electrons that are being transferred. There's no net redox. But we could have eliminated it down to C and D with that one sentence in that paragraph there. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this is a great question. Always got to remember things that, uh, things that are being reduced. Something's getting oxidized. Things that are getting oxidized. Something's getting reduced. It's like... Uh, a yin and yep. yang. Flow of electrons makes the makes the world go round. <laughs> I always think there's a there's a there's a kind of um I think kind of poetic symmetry in the kind of that the electron flows that you know make our computers and phones work yeah. are you know are actually remarkably similar to the electron flows that you know keep our mitochondria and cells functioning. <laughs> there's a Queen song that says that something else makes the world go round, but uh, we won't sing that song. <laughs> Um, all right. Question um, 43. Which of the following is most likely not a symptom of acylcarnitine translocase deficiency? Mm -hmm. All right. So this is the second paragraph here. Yeah. So A, hyperglycemia, B, muscle weakness, C, liver damage, or D, high ammonia levels in blood. And again, most likely not a symptom of. Whew. All right. So students yeah. are going to be like, wait a minute. I don't know anything about acetyl, acetylcarnitine translocase deficiency. Um, other than that, there's this malfunction of the translocase, which normally exchanges acetylcarnitine from outside the mitochondrion for carnitine inside the mitochondrion. So, yeah. Oh, all right. So I know it's a potentially a mitochondrial disease. 
Um, but the question is, what else is being used here? Hmm. Yeah. I like this question a lot because it's, it forces you to think like, okay, what's the question actually asking? And so I don't know. I always reframe these in my head whenever it says which of the following is most likely not. Cause again, like, I don't know something about my brain. I don't like that wording. I always try and reframe it and be like, all right, three of these are symptoms, like click the one that isn't. Yeah. And that just like that framing really helps me conceptualize it better. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So if we, if we look in the passage, uh, like what is the question asking? Well, it's a translocase deficiency characterized by the malfunction of the translocase whose normal function is to exchange acyl carnitine from outside for carnitine inside. Yeah. How is that relevant? That's expanded upon in the first paragraph. An acyl-CoA molecule must first be transformed into an acyl-carnitine molecule in order to enter the mitochondrial matrix. Is because fatty acids that we eat are too big to passively pass through the inner membrane. If we link those two concepts together, we can infer that fatty acids are broken down into acetyl-CoA molecules. We need this translocase, this carnitine translocase system to get those acetyl-CoA's into the mitochondria so that they can be broken down for energy, so that they can be fed into the Krebs cycle. We know that from our content review. Um, so presumably, this deficiency interferes with the metabolism of fatty acids. Then it's time to make predictions. You know, what symptoms would we see if someone can't metabolize fatty acids? Um, can't metabolize fatty acids. So it's interesting. The only one that kind of stands out as like weird is, is hyperglycemia. I'm like, wait, how does that have <laughs> to do with? Yeah. increased fatty acids um obviously muscle weakness you're not getting energy all that kind of fun stuff lots of things will yep. screw up the, the liver if things aren't working right so that's a seems like an easy one always always a great inference <laughs> <laughs> what causes liver damage an yeah. awful lot yes uh high ammonia levels i'm like wait a minute what's ammonia um I where don't does know. ammonia in the body come from uh the liver uh, ammonia in the body comes from the breakdown of nitrogen-bearing molecules, mostly proteins, mm. which makes sense here. If we can't metabolize fatty acids, presumably we've got to get energy from somewhere else. What other molecules can we metabolize for energy? Mm. Sugar and amino acids. If someone's really relying on amino acid metabolism for energy, they'll probably have a lot of byproducts of that metabolism in their blood. High ammonia levels, I think, fits here. Yeah. So that leads us, I think, to A quite naturally, which is, wait a minute, like, you know, when you already flagged it as seeing, seeming really unusual, which is like, wait a minute, like we can't break down fat. So why would we have high sugar in the blood? Like if we are disproportionately now leaning on, on glucose as an energy source, why would there be loads of it hanging around? Presumably there'd be almost none because, you know, every cell in your body is, you know, screaming out for energy. <laughs> help me, help me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. 
Yeah. So as I actually A is a great. I think this is, this question is a great example where maybe you don't want to proceed by process of elimination. So I think it's actually probably easier to get to A than it is to rule out some of the other ones which are more subtle. Like you said, B muscle weakness is a very natural symptom of lack of energy availability. C liver damage. Like you said, many things mess up the, the liver, but particularly fat is stored in the liver. You know, fatty liver is a common you know symptom of you know, like alcoholism or, or being really overweight. Um, if you can't break down fatty acids, fat will accumulate in the liver and eventually cause, cause liver damage. I think, uh, what's it called? Um, fatty liver, non-alcoholics, steto, hepatitis, I think. Yep. Nash. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great, this is a really good, good question. And, and is one that I'd be tempted to not address with elimination because some of those answer choices are quite like, you know, you really have to follow the chain down. Mm. Oh, all right. That was a, a very interesting passage and set of questions because, again, you have this passage that is a little funky and then some pseudo-discretes in there and lots of interesting knowledge that you have to draw upon. Yeah, so. absolutely. This is a, you know, those were those were difficult ones, but I think they really do strike at the heart of the kind of you know, the kind of synthesis that the MCAT really requires. You know, I think if you're, you know, if you're someone who's traditionally perhaps done really well on exams by just memorizing a bunch of information, you know, particularly that last passage would have been really tough to tackle because, you know, you had to link three pieces of information from the passage together and then apply and then go to the question and think, well, from those pieces of information, what is then the natural implication six steps downstream, which is what you have to do every day as a doctor. I think is maybe isn't a super isn't you know isn't maybe a skill that everyone has had to practice before they get to the MCAT. All right, there you have it. Hopefully, another great episode for you to follow along with full length one from Blueprint, which again you can get for free, as well as a half length diagnostic and access to their amazing study tool at BlueprintPrep.com/slash/MCAT. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT podcast. This is MedEd Media.